Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual biblical symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible's Literature Podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Too often the Lord's promise in Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 that those who ask will receive and those who seek will find is reframed by a consumer mindset, as though prayer is the adult version of writing a letter to Santa Claus. But if we hear this verse in context of Matthew, we're stuck with a different reality. God's will is immutable and dominant. He already knows what we need, and we are not allowed to ask for stuff when we pray. So why and what are we suddenly asking for and seeking in verse 7? In a gospel that began with an overview of the Old Testament and a crash course in biblical Hebrew, Matthew is challenging us. Whatever we need is already available in Scripture. So ask the Torah and seek its pages. Everything you need will be provided. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 260 of the Bible as Literature podcast. How are you doing today, Richard? I'm doing well, Father. How about you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to get back into Matthew chapter 7. We spoke last time about this verse that is so often misused. Namely, the prohibition that we are not to give what is holy to dogs or to cast pearls before swine. We spent a lot of time last week on the contextualization of this verse in chapter 7. One thing we didn't emphasize strongly enough that is worth calling out at the start of today's show is that the reason the dog is associated with the Gentile or the swine are associated with the Gentile is because these are unclean animals. So in the broader narrative context of the New Testament, when you see a technical term like dog or swine, the first logical thing to consider is the prohibition against unclean things in the law. 
And that's why frequently these terms are used as functional terms that call to mind the Gentile, the outsider, the sinner, the one who's unclean, the one who's pushed outside the community because of uncleanness. And Matthew is challenging us not to judge those people. Right, Father. And, you know, you and I talked a lot before this episode about taking these terms that have these general interpretations throughout Scripture and balancing that with how it fits in the current context. Because we've been talking from the very beginning of the Bible as Literature podcast that you have to follow the narrative. There's a reason why you have verse 5 and then verse 6 and then verse 7. You're supposed to read them in order. What's odd is that so many people talk about taking the beam out of your eye before looking at someone else's eye. People talk about not giving what is holy to the dogs or throwing pearls to the swine. And people talk about asking and it shall be given to you. But nobody connects those three. Why would Matthew, in this discourse from Jesus, string these three together? That's really important to understand because it gives us insight into what's supposed to happen here. The whole previous section was about not judging. And then it says, don't give what's holy to the dogs. Well, when people use, don't cast your pearls before swine, you're like, eh, they're swine. Eh, they're unclean. Why should I give to them? But that seems to contradict precisely what's said before about not judging. There's something more subtle going on. You're not allowed to judge whether the person is worthy of this or not. Your job as the teacher, your job as the holder of the gospel, to go and you teach them. If they don't want the teaching, you can't say, ah, they're not worth it. Ah, they're bad. And you're not allowed to force it upon them and compromise the teaching so you can convince them. If they don't want it, then you move on. You, They have the teaching. You gave it to them. If they don't appreciate it, they don't like it, then move on before they turn and take you on. Matthew has said emphatically that you are responsible for your own sins first and foremost. If you then allow yourself to go the way of the unclean. If you, in your failure to share the gospel with the Gentile or the one who's outside the community because of uncleanness, you invariably go the way of the unclean. So the only way to think about verse 6 is in context of Matthew chapter 7. I want to stress this, that if you are giving what is holy to the dogs, it is a way of expressing your sinful behavior. You are the one who is compromising that which is holy, that which was entrusted to you, which is the sacred text. You are defiling it. You are compromising it because you are behaving like the Gentile you claim you are here to evangelize. It's difficult because the way we think as human beings is always to judge others, but Matthew is pushing in the opposite direction, and he is teaching us that what makes us unclean is exactly our judgment of others. We have no right. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Previously, in 6.8, it said, do not be like those who use vain repetitions to pray, because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, Jesus is saying, ask. 
in 625, it says, don't think about your life, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink or for your body or what you're going to put on. And then later on, he talks about how God's going to take care of those things. So it seems strange that now after two occurrences of saying, don't worry about asking for what you need, Jesus is saying, ask for what you need. So why would that make sense? Well, because just before this, we said, okay, when you see someone who's not acting correctly, it's not your job to correct them. You can only teach the teaching. You correct yourself and then you teach. We just mentioned verse six. If you find those who don't want to accept the teaching, you just have to move on. The point here is that as the bearer of the gospel, as a citizen of this kingdom, your job is to bring this to those who want it, but it's not up to you to convince people. It's not up to you to find people. God is the one who provides those who want to hear the gospel and who want to be citizens of this kingdom. It's not up to you to figure out who's going to be citizen and who's not going to be citizen in this kingdom, like Peter thought it was his job to do with the Gentiles who are sitting at the table with him. It is up to God to provide those who want to be members of this house, like Cornelius. You are not allowed to pray the way you want. You're not allowed to say any prayer. You have to say the prayer that the Lord commands us to pray each day in the Gospel of Matthew. Likewise, you are not allowed to ask for what you want. The only correct prayer is to ask that the will of the Father be carried out. We have hit this over and over and over again. And the will of the Father is the will of the Father. Whatever happens in life is his will, de facto, with no regard for what we consider good or bad. At the same time, his instruction is also his will for us. So if you are asking to follow God's will, if you are asking for his will to be done, the only place that you can ask and seek is in the text. That's the bottom line. Now, when you hear it, as you said, Richard, in context of Matthew 7, the one who would dare to share what is holy with the dogs has to seek from the text its instruction, its wisdom, and its judgment, and apply it to themselves to address first the log in their own eye. If you are seeking the text, and you are asking the text for instruction, that instruction will be given to you. It's very much like the promise that you will know what to say when you go before authorities in the Gospel of Mark. If you seek, if you knock on the door of the text, what you need will be opened for you. And it fits also very well with the general theme in Matthew, that you are to take nothing with you for the journey in chapter 10. Whatever you need will be provided wherever you go, whichever house you go to, it will be opened to you for evangelization. But it will only be opened to you to share the gospel if first you are seeking the gospel and allowing the gospel to judge you and to correct you. Because scripture in the end is only scripture when even in the moment that you yourself are reading it to someone else, you are condemned by it. You are convicted by it. 
In fact, you can't even explain it and help other people understand it until you yourself are condemned by it. So ask and seek and knock on the door of the text. And then when you turn to share the text with someone else, you won't defile them. You'll put yourself under them. And in doing so, you will acknowledge to all that God is the judge of all. And then you can place your hope in the word itself to do what it will do. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. So in verse 7, Jesus is addressing the one who would presume to share Scripture with the unclean. Everyone who asks receives. Jesus is turning the notion of uncleanness on its head. We might presume that because the text was entrusted to us, that we have something to offer, but Jesus is saying everyone who approaches the text will receive. What you said, Father, about asking and seeking of the text in the previous verse is essential for continuing this idea in verse 8, because in the previous chapters, Jesus was insisting that you're not allowed to think about the things that give you fleshly life, your food, your drink, your clothing, that God just provides those just like he provides the birds what they need to eat. The things that you ask and you seek are from the text. Now, so often, I think this verse gets twisted because people think it's about those things. They think that they're supposed to be asking God. And the problem is even deeper than that. I was listening to someone who is a missionary to another country, to a place where there are not very many Christians. And what he kept talking about was sharing God, sharing God, sharing God. The only thing you're allowed to share is the text. Because if you're sharing God without the text, which God are you sharing? But if you're sharing the text, then there's only one God about whom the text speaks, and that is your Father in heaven, as defined by the text. What you're saying, Father, is essential. I just want to underscore it. If you ask of the text, you receive. If you seek of the text, you will find. And if you knock at the text, the text will be opened. But your focus, your mind, and your thinking or your heart, as we would say in biblical terms, must be the text. It must be filled with the text, and it must be all about the text. Don't pray for someone you love to overcome their sickness. Pray that in seeking God's wisdom from Scripture, you would submit to his will in the illness of your relative correctly. Matthew is ruthless. Because if your relative dies of cancer, it was the will of God. And if you are to pray with respect to your relative's illness, you should pray for the Lord's will to be done, whatever it is. And then seek the text and ask of the text how to submit to that will. That's what we're talking about here. And specifically in Matthew 7, you submit by not judging your neighbor. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Again, we're talking about gifts, but these are the gifts that come from the will of the Lord. There's no gift registry in the Gospel of Matthew. You have to take the stance that God is a good provider, that you can trust his provision, and that when your relative dies of cancer, even that difficult thing is a gift because it is his will. It is the only sensible attitude to have towards life. It's the only rational attitude. If you go down the path of philosophy and theology and trying to figure out what is evil, what is not evil, what is ethical, what is moral, what is not moral, you're going to be stuck with this very silly feedback loop, trying to figure out how a good God would allow evil to happen. It's a really silly feedback loop. Everything is the will of God. Accept it. Submit to it. Because that's the only rational thing to do. But you have to submit to it in the very specific way that we are called to submit to it in the gospel. So it's not just that what happens is what happens. If you are baptized, if you are circumcised in the foreskin of your heart with the content of Scripture, you have to submit to whatever happens and accept whatever happens in the specific way that you are called and instructed to submit and to accept according to what is written in Scripture. This can't be overstated, Richard. I will only repeat what you say in different words because it is the essence of not just Matthew but also Hosea that no matter what you have, it's been provided by the Lord. Just because previously Jesus spoke about how God provides the beauty of the lilies of the field, the lilies of the field will also wither and die. Just because God provides doesn't mean you're going to live forever. What you have to assume if you submit to what Jesus says is that God is a better giver than you are. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father know how to give good things? Even what you think is evil, you have to assume that God is a better giver than you and knows better what you need than even what you think you need. That's why I can only underscore what you said, Father, about praying for your relative, because is health the correct thing for this person? You can't know. Only God knows. You imagine that there's a way of knowing, as you said, through theology and philosophy and morality and this sort of thing, but you can't know. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Here, Richard, I want to stress that you cannot read verse 12 separately from verse 6. I want to keep hitting this point. To once and for all dispel the abuse of verse 6 by those who would refer to God's children as being unworthy of God's instruction. They are pushed away from God's instruction, and at the same time, you give in to their unclean ways because you are self-righteous. That is what Matthew is teaching in chapter 7. And if you are self-righteous, 
you're going to treat people as though they're beneath you. And Matthew is calling you in his gospel to treat people as you would like to be treated. Treat them the same. You are not above anyone else. The teaching is above everyone. Don't confuse the authority of the teaching with the authority of your personal opinion. You're a slave. Specifically, when hearing Matthew, you are a slave to Matthew, who is telling you what Jesus said. You don't even pertain directly to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. You pertain to Matthew. Matthew pertains to Jesus because he is the evangelist and the apostle. So you are the slave of a slave in Matthew. So on what basis do you look down on other slaves? Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. What man would give someone a stone when they ask for bread? What man would give a snake when they ask for a fish? If that's how you want God to treat you, if that's how you want people to treat you, then you should treat them that way also. If someone asks for bread, you give them bread. If someone asks for a fish, you give them a fish. If someone has something they need from you, you give it to them just as you would want to receive it if you were in need. What's fascinating is Jesus twists it. Don't ask God. God's a better giver than you. You know how we know that he's a better giver than you? Because when someone asks you for bread, you don't give it. Your job is to not say, oh no, is God going to provide for me? Your role is to say, of course God's going to provide for me. And then you go and you provide for the other just as you want to be provided for. You are no longer allowed to obsess about your own life because that's God's problem. Your obsession is the life of your brother and you give to them. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Have a great week, sir. Thank you very much, Father. Take care. Thanks, you too. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.